Welcome to Queer, an LGBTQ live entertainment discussion podcast. I'm Megan, and with me is Phil, and Phil is going to introduce our first guest. Hey, yes. Um, So, uh, we have our very first guest for our show today. Um, He he is an actor, playwright, and sometimes director, right? And uh, yes, cool. um, He's a a very good friend of mine, uh, Roderick Woodruff. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So um, we, the reason we are, you know, we, we decided to have our first guest uh, be you, Roderick, is um, obviously, you know, it's, it's not to anybody's surprise that the, um, the protests that are going on out there, that's going in literally now all 50 states around the country and even parts of the world, um, we wanted to know, we wanted to express our platform for people of color and, you know, within the LGBTQ uh, spectrum within our theater in live entertainment industry. You know, we all, we all have stories to tell and racism has no occupation. You know, it, it is truly everywhere. And mm-hmm. we want to be able to um, express people's um, experiences um their solutions on dealing with certain level of prejudice that they've might have acquired in their of um experience in their life and we want to be able to you know have more guests over to talk about this so uh for the month of pride in june we will be having guests every episode and possibly dropping more episodes more than usual um, bringing in new guests from different avenues of live entertainment and theater who are black and queer to talk about their stories and their experiences. Um, that being said, uh, Roderick, uh, tell us about yourself. Alrighty. Um, I, I am struggling to consider myself, um, one, a playwright and two, director. Um, I am an actor. I, recently graduated in 2019 from SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Um, And I did spend all of my time perfecting acting. So I can say that I'm an actor. Playwright, um, I do have a published play and I do have a play that I am currently in production for, but it's hard to consider myself a playwright because I do not have formal training in either playwright or directing. Um, But I am currently for my senior thesis at SMU, I wrote A Boy's Room. A Boy's Room is basically my life story. It's about a little boy who feels like he's Beyonce and wonders why the world isn't allowing him to be Beyonce. So he hides everything that makes him fabulous and special inside of his bedroom um, because the world won't allow him to be that. But he must answer himself, is it that he wants to be a bad bitch solely inside of his room or can he take that out the world will the world be ready for that is he ready for that so that is what i'm currently working on right now i live in new york city um 23 about to be 24 i'm a sagittarius I like pizza i'm also a sagittarius by the way <laughs> oh we love oh. to see it we love to see it <laughs> so uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why we I wanted to break you, bring you in. Uh, I I've known um, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say Ricky because that's that's Please, what we call you. Yeah, yeah. I met Ricky uh, actually. Uh, he was a lead in the very first show that I was assistant designing when I started my time at SMU. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring Ricky into the show was that um, 
for our first guest, we want I wanted to be I wanted to bring somebody who was young and is now entering the you know the professional life of being in theater at a time when you know what this is all happening and at the same time um ricky's going you know will you know have i'm sure will have his own you know experiences with prejudice and bias uh, you know against you know his his uh, identity and his race you know within education and academia so i wanted you know i wanted that the first episode and our first guest um kind of focusing on that uh, perspective of being a young, new um, professional in in live entertainment. So, uh, and by no stretch of the imagination, don't feel like you're not a playwright. You, you are. You know, by by writing plays, you are a playwright. Just as much mm-hmm. as you know, uh, Megan has never had any formal training in doing coding. They are doing coding really well and educating people how to do it, you know, through Twitch. And just as much as me, I'm not a game, mm-hmm. game developer. I've never taken any sort of training in game development, but I do VR, you know, um, experiences uh, through Oculus headsets and through Unity. So, you know, just because we haven't had any formal training into something, you know, the, the school hard knocks and self-taught is just as much of a level of education than anything else. So very knowledge figure it out really fucking quickly so you so you know and honestly you'll get more out of it sometimes even more through than uh formal education so you are a playwright we are introducing you as a playwright director and actor because those are what you are as well so um don't feel like um you know those kind of have less meaning for sure and a boys room was a you know spectacular show and it was you know very thought out and it was very emotional so we definitely want to be able to share that with uh, with our listeners today. So, Ricky, uh, what what got you into what got you into theater and live entertainment? So, when I was younger, my grandmother and aunt were a part of the only Equity House in Detroit, um, and I will always see them rehearsing. But I knew that that was never my thing. Like it was cool seeing them do, but that was never my thing. I was a musician, a singer, that is what I did. I would sing all the time. I was gonna be a little Michael Jackson. Um, And then I got into middle school and I was put into the Mosaic Youth Theater of Detroit. But I was a part of the singing program, so I didn't really spend too much time with the acting program. And also in that thinking that all of the actors in that program were really just fucking annoying and like, you know, screaming all the time. and have no sense of like spatial awareness. Um, and that really bothered me. I then went on to high school at Cast Tech, where it's like a school that has an amazing arts program, but it's n- it's more of a magnet school than a performing arts school. Um, and I was a vocal student at Cass. And one day my vocal teacher gets upset with me because I refuse to teach um, the tenor part of a song. That's not my job. That's your job. You get paid to do that. It's not my job. Don't tell me what to do. I'm 16. I have an attitude because that's what 16-year-olds do. Um, she throws her keys at me. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm not like struck by her throwing her keys. She throws her keys all the time. Whatever. Um, I pick up my books and I begin to leave. She says, and you're walking like a girl. And I turn around and I say, and you're a bitch. And at that moment, like, 
all of the men in our class just start chasing me out of the room because they're like, you disrespected Dr. Harden. And I'm like, fuck her. She just insulted me. Um, that's a microaggression that has lived on in my life forever. Like I would never forget that moment. But because of that, I was kicked out of the music program at CAS and placed in the theater program because the way majors work in high school, you have to have certain credits. And the only way that I can continue being um, under the performing arts umbrella was if I switched over to theater. So I switched over to theater and we did In the Heights and I was graffiti pee, which is extremely problematic. Like I, it's so problematic the fact that my high school, this all black high school with maybe 3% Latinx people did In the Heights. Like we just shouldn't. Um, yeah. But we did In the Heights and I fell in love with the story. I think Lynn knows what he's doing sometimes. Like, okay, Lynn, I like you. Um, and I found community. I found like-minded people. And yeah, they were still annoying. They were still screaming in the hallways and had no spatial awareness, shockingly for actors. Um, yeah. But yeah, all of my friends decided to go to acting conservatories across the country. And I end up ended up auditioning for eight conservatories across the country and was accepted to, I think, five out of the eight. And SME was just like, here's a lot of money. Or so they painted out to be. It was actually not that much money at all. Like, I owed so much fucking money. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, I think theater was an accident for me. Like, it was never my thing. Like, I grew up mm -hmm. wanting to be a singer, an opera singer, and then theater just happened. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder, like, how the fuck did I get here? Like, what, what is happening? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I, that's that's my origin story, more or less. I keep on saying, you know, I was like, I don't know how I got into theater to this day. I don't know. I, I came into my community college with the thought of me going into psychology and then in the last minute meeting my advisor out of nowhere, I was like, you know what, let's do theater. I, I had no theater training or experience back yeah. then other than Did just they dating. have, was your, where'd you grow up, Phil? Oh, I grew up in New York. Um, what's okay. it called? I went to a Suffolk County community. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, we, 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 I, was, I was definitely fortunate being close enough that, uh, I, you know, one of my classes that I was able to attend was called New York Theater. And basically that class was that every week we went to go see a new Broadway show. See, we didn't have much theater in Detroit. Like that wasn't, that's a very rare thing. Like the Mosaic yeah. Theater of Detroit is probably the only arts program for uh, young actors and singers in the entire city. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so all of that was very new to me. Like that was just not, in Detroit, you know, you, you grow up, you graduate high school, and you go work at Ford's Motor Company. Like that, yeah. that is the trajectory. Like, you don't pursuing acting. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, you know? I don't. And I, and, and I think that's a, you know, and it's something that's, it's so odd that, like, um, that, that's, that, uh, you know, pardon the pun, you know, since you talked about Ford Motors, but like that assembly line mindset. That yeah, is just, that's you, really you know, what it is. Yeah. And it, it's so, it's, it's crazy that, like, you know how much ramification there is to to break apart from that chain you know even you know even by some deviation that there gets so much blowback um and i think um one of the things that you talked about also and um you know and it's something that 
you know, um, people of color are not, um, this is not unique to them in any way, shape or form, but the, the, the toxic masculinity and the patriarchy of what yeah. it is to be a certain um, gender is, is, it's still like one of the, you know, it, it's so uh, prolific and yeah. obsessed with, with people of color, you know, especially with Latinx and black people, you know, it's, 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 it's incredible. And it's, it's, it's honestly sometimes even more frustrating because we, we even find ourselves, you know, yeah, we're, we're dealing with racism on one side with people who are not people of color, but at the same time though, we're kind of in a battle within our own communities. communities. Yeah, exactly. you know, so like, you know, we, it, it's funny because like, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we, you know, we grew you know, all of us, we grew up, you know, and, and Megan, you know, most of your family is from Texas, correct? Yeah. All of my family is actually from Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you grew you know, so, you know, like I'm, I'm first generation American. So, yeah. I'm first generation American. So I didn't have a big family. I just had a big Brazilian community, but like, even then, like we had a large community mm-hmm. that, you know, that helped us shape our identity and culture. And yeah. then, you know, depending on circumstances, if, if, you know, if you weren't straight, you know, and you weren't planning on doing the things that, you know, are expected of, you know, of your uh, gender assigned at birth, then, you know, fuck you, get the hell away from us, you know? And it's, Mm-hmm. it's so it's so interesting it, it, it's very interesting because it's i mean i just think it's very common for a lot of things in our life people are afraid of what they don't know people are yeah. afraid that if something is different then their way of their way of life has to have to alter in order to accommodate that person mm-hmm. and i i that's just not true like people are people at the end of the day like they should yeah. be treated with the same basic human rights. Like it shouldn't have to be, I am going out of my way to accom- accommodate you or you must assimilate into my culture. Like at the end of the day, like we are, there's one race, there's the human race. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't have to conform any part of my identity to be a part of your community. Like that just shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. And at the same, you know, and at the same time, even be like, you know, you don't have, you know, I don't have to accommodate to you, but at the same time, you know, respect the culture and my identity, you know, as, you know, a person of color, regardless, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, you know, and it's, it's funny too, cause it's like, you know, uh, you know, Ricky, I, I'm sure you're no stranger to this also that like, you know, for me, you know, uh, like when I, you know, when I, you know, started to explore, you know, me, be, you know, becoming more queer and, you know, and telling myself I'm bi and starting being more uh, sexually active, you know, uh, how many times did we would see on like accounts being like, you know, whites only or white twinks only. And it's like, holy crap, the amount of racism in a, a already a marginalized group. And with this kind of like bogus mindset or, you know, idea just being like, oh, it's not racism. It's just a preference. I'm like, no, boo, it's, that's racism. It's really crazy <laughs> because I expected that in Dallas. I really expected yeah. that. In Detroit, we didn't really, like, it wasn't a big thing because, you know, most of us are, Detroit's the blackest city in America. But when I went to Dallas, like, I expected that. However, moving to New York, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to find me somebody. There's somebody in New York City for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you run into the same racist bullshit that you found in Dallas. Like, everyone's like, oh, this is a preference. No, that's racism. Yeah. That's not a preference. That's racism. Exactly. You know, um, 
and you know with and Megan like you you know you're you know you and I are both in a in a racial you know mm-hmm. um, couple. Um, did you got did you you know so you have like another layer on top of that you know being you know already you know a person of color mm-hmm. being gay and now in a racial couple what you know what was your experience with that luckily like my family is very accepting and like my grandparents like i mean they're straight and fine um but they're both uh they were also interracial as well so oh great um and then uh my mom and my biological dad were also interracial and so we've kind of already like in the family that wasn't a big deal and like out in the world like being in austin that's also not a big deal um and because i'm like half i can pass a little bit more towards the white side Mm -hmm. um it's still not really that terribly of a big deal but like i know um my wife is part lebanese and she goes through the point where she's like well she feels like she presents fully white and so she's like i wish that at some point my this can be completely politically incorrect um my brownness showed a bit more so that like people could see I'm more in solidarity with them. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Cause like um, her grandparents had, ha- they were interracial and they actually had to feel a lot of that kind of that like stuff. Cause they came over when Ellis Island was still over, was still open. Yeah. Um, so they got to tell all of those stories and stuff like that. And it's just interesting hearing the different generations that they had to, that they had to go through. But we, I mean, luckily we're in Austin which is a bit more liberal. And so we didn't really have to go through a lot of that. Like, and y'all were, I mean, even the topics that y'all said, like how there were communities that were for uh, whites only. And it's like, I never saw any of that on the like Mm. lesbian end of things. Like we never saw, I I never saw those groups, but it could just be, I also wasn't, I wasn't looking for those groups also. Is there a lesbian grinder? I don't know. Oh, there has to be. There's an app. There's an app called Her. It's kind of similar, I, I guess, like because it's only for um, women or people who are presenting as female um, interests, really. So women looking for women, basically, and it, that oh. also encompasses like non-binary people as well. And that is mm-hmm. what um, they said in their in their description. I haven't been on it in four years, but um, I guess that would be the closest that you got to Grinder. But again, I also never looked for something like that as well. Yeah. No, I, I stuck to Tinder and I stuck to her and that was about it during my <laughs> during my college fun time. <laughs> but you know, and that's you know what like what we you know we what we just talked about and what we just mm-hmm. brought up, especially with uh, with your wife, um, and um, it's it's the it's that paper bag you know mm-hmm. that's that's kind of that the paper bag check that uh, at least for me like you know like we, you know people of color kind of grew up with as well because like. Um, people would know this about me, you know, but like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I am Afro-Latino, but like, because Mm -hmm. I present more Latino, you know, and I, I am even still for myself, I'm, I'm hesitant to referring to myself as black because to be black Latino is a completely different experience than being a black American. It is completely different Mm -hmm. with its own historical background and its own historical ramifications, you know? So like, and it's weird because it's like, you know, um, it, there's always this argument on whether or not Latino is really a race, if it's an ethnicity and stuff like that. And, you know, there's arguments to present it in both ways, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, you know, at the end of the day, like, um, I think what we're kind of just uh, all just kind of colliding is, is that um, 
doesn't matter what uh what 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 we are what you know or what our, our race is and stuff like that or even what our or what our gender or even our um sexuality is we can still find prejudice within and within marginalized fissures going deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. and you know and it's and that's kind of why um i was you know i'm really fascinated about you ricky because uh, a boys room tackles exactly that you know, you're t- you know, it, it tackles being a black American, but at the same time, you know, breaking the, you know, the, the gender bias, the, you know, the, the yeah. patriarchy of what it is to be a man, you know, yeah. and the, and the, uh, and the unnecessary strain it is to be one when it, it, it's, it's not necessary. Exactly. Um, you know, and I, I, I guess, uh, what, what kind of inspired you about that? I know you talked about that. It's, it's your story, but like, what made you want to write it? Um, well, okay. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to write it. I was, I was an engaged learning fellow at SMU. Basically, um, it is a researching fellowship for undergraduate at SMU, like a really high researching fellow at, at SMU. Um, and I knew that I needed a final project. Um, I was in London, uh, supposedly studying abroad. I was actually just drinking every day as one does when they go abroad. Um, and so say, what, what's the broad's name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm walking down the street and futurist uh, thought it was a drought is playing. I can fuck your, I can fuck your bitch in my Gucci flip flops. Like that song is over and over. And like I'm feeling myself. I have on like this fur. I'm like I'm a bad bitch. I am Beyonce. You know. I'm walking down the street singing the song, feeling like Beyonce. Um, that same day, I was on the, I was on South Bank, and this busker wrote me this poem. Um, very beautiful poem. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, these are all signs. So I got back to America and like the project was due basically. And I was like, oh fuck, I haven't written anything. So I took that song, thought it was a drought and that feeling of being Beyonce, this epitome of being a bad bitch and loving oneself wholly. Um, And also what is the juxtaposition between being this effeminate queen and hip hop culture, like those bumping up against each other as well. And I was like, okay, I know the story now. It is a, it's about a boy who is, who is balancing, you know, being this bad bitch in a world that doesn't want to see him be that. Um, and I also, and I also found that in, you know, just in that exploration, knowing that it was only in solitude where I could freely express that, it was only around people that I was comfortable with that I could freely express that. It wasn't when I went and met with the people who are actually going to be reading this uh, project or who are who awarded me the fellowship. Like I, around them, I was very, you know, straight and narrow, suit and tie. I'm speaking, quote unquote, white because that's what people say in Detroit. Um, that's, that's how I'm communicating with him when I, but the story itself is very different from that the story itself is about a, a person who is speaking Ebonics and is loving the fact that he's speaking Ebonics and walking around in heels because he's a bad bitch and he loves Beyonce and in his space, none of the, none of the toxicity, toxicity, none of the, you know, um, none of 
none of the world matters in his space. None of the world matters. He creates his happiness. In that. Um, so yeah, I wrote it when I was drunk as I do. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, and, and it's still like, you know, it, it, it impacted a lot of people, you know, and it, it was you. You were very, you know, and I'm glad that you were able to get it produced, though, you know, and at, at mm -hmm. SMU, and you know, and, you know, I, your, you know, the lighting was good. You know, you had great costumes, especially one that got hey. stolen. <laughs> it did get stolen. Hey, jacket, right? The production for the current, well, the current production, like the costume. Uh, oh my Jesus! Like I just had my, my first. Uh, design meeting. She's a student from Parsons. Her name is Zoe Filter. Um, mm -hmm. And she is incredible. Like the the ideas that she is bringing to the show already is really on it. And then I have Phil, you know, Andrew Garvis, right? Yeah. Andrew Garvis is doing lights and I adore Andrew Garvis because I think Andrew Garvis, he, Andrew, he gets it. He gets it. And Andrew plays with so many different colors. And I also think he knows how to light dark skin. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's important when, you know. Yeah. yeah so I'm really yeah. excited for the current New York and international debut. That's awesome. That's I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, uh, you know, I, if I was planning on going to New York pretty soon, don't know when we're all going back, but, uh, you know. Okay. Right? I'm stuck right? here. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, I guess. Um, I guess, you know, um, Megan, do you have any questions? Anything you want to ask Ricky or Ricky, do you have something you want to talk about more? I don't have anything. I really enjoyed just listening. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I put you on the spot and I'm sorry. No, about no, that. It's okay. no, no, you're good. You are good. Megan, I think it was really interesting when you were talking about your wife uh, mm -hmm. wanting to, or just wanting to be more in solid solidarity because mm -hmm. you know she is a person of color but she doesn't come across my best friend um diego martinez and i think he is you know he diego is a person of color mm -hmm. he is he represents mexican pride you know he really goes hard for being mexican and diego also presents as a white man when you look at him he looks like a white man his skin is extremely fair like mm -hmm. he looks he looks Caucasian. And I was talking to him the other day and he was just like, um, it's hard to believe that me as a first generation Mexican in this country have more rights than you just because of the color of my skin. And I'm like, yeah, man. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, it, it sucks because I, I know as a person of color, he does get it. Like he, he does understand, but can never truly understand because people don't see him like that. Mm -hmm. Diego got cast and was easily castable in SMU and outside of SMU simply because he has the name Diego Martinez and yet looks like a white man. He is a person mm -hmm. that you, know, you, you can throw his name around and people are like, oh, diversity, diversity. And also he's a white man on your stage. Mm -hmm. He doesn't actually right. do yeah, bring any other diversity other than his There's name. And that's not true because I know who he is. Mm -hmm. And I know that he's a very proud uh, Latinx man. Um, but I also know how it how it looks to audience members. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I think so one of my... That's just, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, One of my favorite 
and when I mean favorite, I actually just hate it. But like my favorite non-aggressive racist comment that I get a lot was, oh, you know, you're very good at making white people comfortable. And I'm like, I get that too. I get that too. And I, I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, what, what, what do I do that that makes you comfortable? It's just like nothing. Right. You're just, you know, you're just, you're just very relaxed and, you know, easy, easy to talk to. And I'm like, is that because, <laughs> at least in my experience, and please, like, you know, if this is your experience, you chime in. But like, I grew up, I didn't grow up. I grew up watching Disney Channel, and there weren't. Mm black people there weren't gay people like we had that's a raven but even that's yeah. a raven was very different from my experience because you know if you had two working parents who are very middle class and they lived in fucking bougie ass expensive san francisco mm -hmm. i grew up in the hood of detroit and you know government government assistance you know so that the i never saw myself on tv and i hated the fact that i i was in this situation being black gay and poor as fuck like i i resented that and i tried so hard to present myself as someone who was not that just so i could assimilate just so i could mm -hmm. be seen as approachable or um you know i could be seen as the non-threatening black guy but in actuality that that's fucking i hate that i did that i hate that i did that because i think i've lost part of myself in doing that and now i'm searching in my fucking twenties, for that for that that child that existed before, I decided to assimilate. Mm -hmm. I think you, yeah, and I, I pretty much had that same experience. The, you know, the only difference, at least for me, was that, um, you know, when my parents, you know, like when they had me, uh, I was, you know, I was born in the United States, but then we moved back to Brazil for a couple of years. So, you know, I grew up then only speaking Portuguese, and uh, I flew back when I was uh, six back to the United States and living here. And I didn't even know that I was, I, I didn't even really connect it to myself that I was an American. I connected myself as an immigrant, even though I, you know, even amongst my community though, I had more privilege than most of them because most of them, you know, for lack of better terms, they were, they, they, they came here undocumented. They just, they came in with their past and stuck with their visas. And uh, I, you know, and I thought that I was one of them, but then they would be like, no, you're an American citizen. Like if we get in trouble, our whole family needs to get sent back. And that hit me. But then when I started public school, um, ESL, uh, English as a second language, um, this was, you know, this was during the early nineties. It was a much different uh, mindset and mission statement than what it is now, where now it's like, it's about ingraining English as part of your culture. Back then it was obliterate that culture. You are an American, speak yeah. English, you know? And like, they would tell my parents, like, you know, you, you are not allowed to speak Portuguese around your son if he needs to learn English, yeah. you're only allowed to speak English. And to them, wow. like they didn't know in English, I taught them English for crying out loud most of the time, me and television. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I grew up thinking that my, my, uh, my culture was a hindrance. It was, it, was, it was dead weight that I needed to kind of like expunge yeah, exactly. off in order to be a real American. And it, it was not the case. And it became such a, you know, there was such a drastic downfall that came after that, you know, and it, it you know, and it came with a, a rift between me and my community because I started learning less and less Portuguese because my brain was kind of like take, saving up that space for more English. 
yeah. you know, and, and it only took me till it, it took me till pretty much late high school to realize like I need to claim this culture back, and that's mainly because exactly. I, I went to we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't yeah. have to wait until fucking high school, but that is mm-hmm. the sad reality. That is yeah. what it hits you that wow, I am totally different because I yeah. decided to change who I was. And that big change only happened because I went to, I left a school district that was primarily white to a school that was primarily black and Latino. Once I went, once I, once I left that school district and went to a more that fit with more of my demographic, that's mm-hmm. when the importance of connection yeah. mattered because, you know, at that point I needed to make new friends and, you know, for lack of better terms, people saw me by the color of my skin and they were like, yo, come hang out with us. Yeah, you know, I made white people uncomfortable all the time until they found out that I liked fucking anime, and then for some reason they were like, "Oh, what? You like Dragon Ball Z too? Yeah. Let's talk. Let's hang out. You like the Kamehameha? Let's do it." You know, <laughs> or like that I liked video games. You know, but shit, fuck. I but think yeah. SMU mm-hmm. is a shitty place. I think it's a shitty place for several reasons, but those reasons are you know not important right now. But I do think SMU did a very good job, at least in the voice department. In most mm. acting conservatory programs across the country, they are teaching um, so-called general American. Like I, that's kind of like the standard, the basic for your vo- vocal training before you go into accents and dialects. You're learning so-called general American, mm. and probably about a decade ago, probably less than that, they were like, "This is how you need to speak moving forward. This is for the rest of your life. This is how you need to speak." But Anne Schilling, the goddess that she is, she's a vocal, uh, she's a voice professor at SMU. Um, she came in and said, "No, claim your voice, claim the voice that you talked that you claim the voice that you have when you're talking to your sister, when you're talking to your grandmother. That is your real voice, and that voice is okay, and that voice tells story. Use that voice efficiently, and you can use so-called general American in order to." punctuate lines better in order to attack target better, you know, to send action better. But I, but Angelic has never told us to alter our voice in order to be characters. I think mm-hmm. Blake Hackler says it best, like we are not not these characters, but we are also not not these characters, meaning we have to bring all of our being into these characters so that these characters can function without us, without the, the, poor black queer boy from Detroit, the character will never be filled as much as it could be because the rest would just be alive. I'm just pretending. Yeah. Um, I guess then, you know, like, um, this will be our final segment that I want to talk about for a little bit then is, um, I guess, you know, and this is for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. What do you guys think is the next step that within everybody in the entertainment industry you know, uh, what do we, what do we need to do next? You know, um, me as a designer, Megan, you as a programmer, um, and Roderick, you as a, you know, as a playwright and actor, um, what do you think we need to do next? Because, you know, I'll be honest, like, you know, I'm fortunate enough for myself that like, I, I like to work on shows that focuses on people of color. So like, I know I won't ever have an issue finding work for that. But, you know, hell, you know, like <laughs> the first, you know, the, like I, I went to a um, what's it called? International Engineering Society, Illuminating Engineering Society. It's a um, it's a uh, architectural lighting f- 
uh, organization. And it was all white people. I was the only designer that was a person of color there. You know, um, you know, what do you guys think is the, the next step for what, what we, at least as an industry, need to do? Megan, what do you think? Um, I think getting, trying to get more representation in there is the best, oh, is the best thing. Um, mm-hmm. Just because like... I love the, your cat, sorry. <laughs> sorry, she was going behind the keyboard. Um, sorry. Just then um, getting more representation and fighting for there to be more representation. Like, it, it really says something seeing someone like you doing what you want to do rather than um so being able to actually like get some get a person of color now to be on the crew or get a person of color to to do more and get involved more would be i mean i think is the next thing and honestly to like i see on the facebook every like every group has the we need to start changing terminology i think it's time to actually start changing terminology rather than just just accepting the fact like this is what it's been called forever and i'm not gonna change well guess what? I'm not going to call it that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like changing, uh, I mean, these are like changing terminology is like a small step, but it still, mm-hmm. it makes people still feel more included than what, mm-hmm. than, 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 than not. So Ricky, mm-hmm. what, uh, what Megan's talking about as an example is with lighting consoles, for example, um, when you need more than one console to control uh, a rig, the term is called master and slave. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it's one of those things that even growing up for me, I felt uncomfortable using it, and I'm like, you know, this is networking. Why can't we just use server and client? Like yeah. it's it's it, the 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 vernacular already exists. Like the mm-hmm. IT department does not call their server room the mass the slave room. Like that they don't call it any of these yeah. things that you know. Like it it it's 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 such a weird archaic thing that people seem to not want to get rid of even the same thing with like power plugs just being like oh you know uh, male and female ends and it's just like no you could just call it receiver and transmitter you again just <laughs> that. yeah you know like, the- there's tons of options already out there like literally yeah. someone just has to start <laughs> yeah absolutely but yeah it you know I, uh, yeah. Um, Ricky, what do you think? And, and, you know, I, I, at least for me, I think, uh, sorry, <laughs> I, I, I guess for me, one of the big things I want to talk about really quick before <laughs> is, uh, my biggest pet peeve with shows, uh, that reflect on people of color, um, more often than not, it always ends up turning into some sort of tragic porn. Oh my Jesus. Mm. Um, yeah. I realized we didn't talk oh. about that and I really do want to take at least like five or 10 minutes to talk about tragic oh, porn when it comes to it comes to people of color and queer people mm-hmm. like queer people for some reason you know like if they found love hey. in the beginning of a show they need to hey. die. they need to die <laughs> literally That's... oh my jesus it yeah. gets so it gets on my nerves i have so i saw um what's the name of the show the eight hour long show fucking it's like baby angels in america uh oh, the yeah. inheritance the inheritance like I'm just so tired of gay people only, you know, having AIDS. Like, is there something else other than AIDS? <laughs> or uh, a black person? Like my junior year at SMU, we did in the blood by Susan Lori Parks. I think Susan is one of the greatest playwrights out there. But I also think that we there are other stories that we can tell about happiness and joy and people just being people. It doesn't have to be, you know. 
I am raping my children. I am like beating them and gay people has AIDS. Like that. Why, why are these things that we go to? That's like our diversity quotas. Like what are we doing? I know a white person can, you know, sit or our white shows are like living room dramas or living room comedies. And they're just bullshitting for an hour. I want to bullshit for an hour. Mm -hmm. I want to get up there and I want to burp and fart and laugh and do dumb shit because that's it. Because I, that's how people live. Yeah. That's yeah. How people live. Yeah. Oh, it gets on my fucking nerves. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, I definitely wanted to talk about it because it's like, you know, especially now, uh, because of course, you know, there's going to be some sort of, um, there's going to be some sort of movie or play about Black Lives Matter. And it's going to be like the main character was living his poverty probably his entire life. And, you know, for God knows for whatever reason, you know, his gay lover died from AIDS. And it's going to be like, man, that's our movie, you know, um, <laughs> you know, because it's like, uh, you know, we, we talked about this uh, earlier before the show, but we were talking about the, sto the uh, what's it called? The, uh, the Stonewall riots mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. that there were just a, there was a movie about it about four years ago that came out and yeah, they changed what there's a movie about Stonewall. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. No. Don't watch it. It's terrible. Because okay. They, because again, Stonewall was founded by black trans women, and they, they decided to whitewash all of that and made the main character a single fictional white cis man, and he was mm -hmm. the one that tossed the brick at the cops that started the Stonewall riots. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. Oh yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's, that's our America. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We need to fucking Disneyfy every single goddamn history when it comes to, you know, marginalized people. Is that what it is? Are we just afraid that we will look too awful to the rest of the world if we acknowledge what really happened? No, I th I just think they don't make they won't make enough money. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> profits drive way too much right now. Yeah, unfortunately. I hate living in a capitalist society. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so uh, to go back to the so. Ricky, what do you think needs to change when it comes to playwright and acting culture? Capital. <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah, right. <laughs> Just go capital. I think I think that that's what needs to happen. I think we need to stop using our one diversity show to be raisin in the sun or, you know, in the blood. I think we need we need black people, like Megan said, we need black people and brown people on our leadership teams and, you know, calling out people who are willing to call out others on their behavior. Like, I don't, I do not fault many people for their ignorance. I'm a person that believes in education. I will call you out. But once I educate you once, it is up to you to continue that education. I'm not going to go back. After that, then I can attack your ass because you refuse to listen. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we need to have people who are on our team of color and who can call out the bullshit and not just one, because, you know, that's a lot of weight to carry for one fucking person. We need multiple people who are going to call out the bullshit. We need it not to be so cisgendered white men. Like, we, that that's disgusting. I'm tired of cisgendered white men stories being produced. Um, I think that that is killing theater in itself. Mm -hmm. There are so many stories in America that needs to be told. So many, that is what's going to bring people to the theater you know yeah. i think mm -hmm. our generation is tired of seeing fucking cherry I, I, you know? I, I, you know? 
like, I, I think we need I think we need stories that represent us, stories that actually matter, and stories that we can cling on to to say that we have something. Um, what else do I think? I think I think we need to do more outreach. I don't think that there are communities that have access to our work, and if they don't have access, then who the fuck are we doing the work for? Are we just doing it for our wealthy donors and people who can afford $200 tickets to theater? Because that's not the theater that I want to create. I want to create theater for my cousins, for my siblings, for my grand, my grandmother and my aunts. I want to create theater for them. I don't want to create theater for, you know, rich white men who can wear tuxedos to the theater because that is elitist and bullshit. And you actually don't want to engage with my work at all. You just want yeah. to pride yourself on saying, oh, I saw a queer story, I'm not, or a black story, I'm not racist, I'm not homophobic, I'm not. I I'm, watched Hamilton, I can't be racist. You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Megan, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say there was a reason why Hamilton was so popular. I mean, it was just <laughs> something that just wasn't done, yeah. that hadn't been done, yeah. like where they, they kind of flipped the story a little bit with who they casted everywhere. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was, it was great. And but it's still not like it's not, it's not people of color's story completely. Yeah. But like, even yeah. then, like, you know, and it, this is not Lynn's fault by any stretch no. of the imagination, but like how many people actually were able to see Hamilton? Like, that's the thing, you know, yeah. like it, and it, it's I it's will say it's coming out on Disney Plus July. 3rd. Oh, it is. Oh, mm -hmm. I know. Oh, I'm mm -hmm. on that. I'm really I, excited. I'm on that I wagon. Seen, but I'm really excited. It's really yeah. good. I I've seen it. <laughs> I, I'm the one that, who was able to see it twice. There um, also needs to be more shows. There needs yeah. to be more shows. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, Hamilton shouldn't be the only show that we kind of have. And that's not, mm -hmm. it's like Megan said, that's not our, that's not our story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's not. And I think it, and it's, there's, there's something very interesting about that, that it was just like, um, that it, it takes it takes uh, a story that was founded and made by you know by white old white men, and we have to incorporate you know young people of color, yeah, you know for us to be seen, because you know people watching be like, oh, I know Alexander Hamilton, I would love to watch it if they properly then raise the curtains up. <gasps> there are Negroes on the stage. What is this? Literally. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I, yeah. man, I. You know, and I'm I'm tired of watching shows like Cherry Orchard over and over again, I'm or so like, tired. you know, or just being or seeing like you know, like Neil, Neil Young is still going on tour. You know, like but you it's know, okay. I don't think that we need to stop doing those stories. But uh, mm -hmm. is about the imagination. It's mm -hmm. okay if you have a fucking black ass Arcadna with a white ass son. That's okay. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Theater is about the imagination. Mm -hmm. the, Thing that we're going for is to see the humanity in those people to see that these people are not too different from me it doesn't matter what fucking skin they are you know the the child believes that he is the cop and he is the robber when he is playing cops and robbers as a kid he doesn't just say oh since i'm black i i have to be i have to be the robber no he doesn't give a fuck use your yeah. imagination we have to get back to that point absolutely well, Ricky, I, I'm I'm glad you know that we were able to get you on the show, and I'm glad that we were able to to put thank this all together. No, no, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, listening to our TED talk. <laughs> you were coming to my TED talk. <laughs> um, so, Ricky, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at x r 
Woodruff, and that's W-O-O-D-R-U-F-F. Or you can find me at X R. Uh, nope. Fuck. A boy's room. X R W. Or you can find me at a boy's room.com or on Facebook. A boy's room by Roderick Woodruff. Awesome. Megan, where can yeah. people find you on the um, internet? Find me on Twitter at, at Megan Wilson underscore or my blog, meganwilson.com or um, Twitch at appsbymw. Yeah. yeah. And people can find me on the internet at Phil Villar at, on Twitter or on Instagram, fat Phil underscore Villar. Don't know why there's a real Phil Villar somewhere. I've got to find him and take my name back. <laughs> um, you can also find me on my website, which is philipvillardesigns.com. Uh, thank you guys for listening and thank you and thank you guys uh, for being in this conversation Ricky uh, I, you know I cannot thank you enough for being our first guest and this mm-hmm. is a you know this was a big episode but this is you know this is a part this is the first step to a much bigger conversation exactly. because theater has always been the um, the platform of pointing out injustice and prejudice in society. And just because now it would become more privatized and more profit driven, you know, we shouldn't have to worry about upsetting donors to, to break apart that um, our obligation as that. Um, Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you guys next episode. Yep. Bye y'all. Bye guys. Bye.